This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. I want to have a discussion about sanctuaries. What are they for? Well, a sanctuary, the root of that word, if we were to do a word study, is sanctus. It means holy, all right? Sanctus is the root word for uh, sanctify, which means to make holy. It's the root word for sanctimonious, uh, someone who puts on a show as if they are holier than you. It's the root word of saint, which is someone who has been made holy. And it's the root word of sanctuary, which is a place that has been made holy. Or in other words, it's a place that has been set apart for the presence of God to dwell within. Because you see, at the heart of God is his desire to dwell with his people, his desire to live among us. And this is really the great narrative in Scripture as we read the Bible from beginning to end. We see this relentless pursuit of God after, after we fall from his grace in the book of Genesis. Uh, we're running away from him and he's pursuing us because what's best for us and what glorifies him is him living among his people. And so... For the Israelites, uh, and we're going to read out of the book of Exodus today, but for the Israelites, their sanctuary was a tabernacle. That's what we know that. When they were traveling traveling through the wilderness, it was a tabernacle. Uh, When they got to the promised land, their sanctuary was the temple, right? The temple was torn down and it was rebuilt. But then after, Jesus came. And Jesus, it says in John 1.14, that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt means tabernacled. Right? So same idea. Jesus was a living, breathing sanctuary of God. And then we know as Christians that as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, as his righteousness becomes our righteousness, we are made holy and we become sanctuaries where the presence of God dwells within us. And so we look forward to the day that St. John talks about in the book of Revelation where he says, I saw a new uh, holy city, a new Jerusalem descending from heaven. And I heard a loud voice that said, behold. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will be with them and they will be his people. So that's what we look forward to. And in the meantime, the question that I want to kind of linger in your heads today is, are you a sanctuary for God? Now, I'm struck by this verse, Exodus 40, 33. So Moses finished the work, that is the work of the tabernacle. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because a cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When that first sanctuary ever created became complete, done, the glory of the Lord filled it. And I'm struck by this because we have to ask ourselves the question that if we have the Holy Spirit within us, If we are a living, breathing sanctuary for God as individuals and also as a church, are we filled with the glory of God 
as was this first tabernacle. And what does it mean to be filled with the glory of God? I'm going to give you a, kind of a story here, an example to make this a little bit more clear. Um, Kayla is a, an extremely fashionable, stylish woman. She's my wife. Uh, and, and I am absolutely not. And so we were, we were in uh, Columbia a few weeks ago. My brother uh, recently had a child. And he was telling us that when they were in the delivery room, he got to cut the umbilical cord and some of it, it bled on his shirt. And he had to get rid of the shirt. And Kayla this spawned a discussion about what I should be wearing whenever I go in, you know, into the delivery room with Kayla. And uh, Kayla, I can just see her eyes light up, and in her mind, she's shuffling through all of the images of outfits that she wishes she could destroy. <laughs> this is her chance. And uh, she's talking about this blue shirt that I love and that I wear all the time. And, oh, you should wear that one. <laughs> Why would I wear that one? I love it. Well, it looks hideous. It's a terrible shirt. And she's right. And... Uh, so if any one of you looks at me and ever thinks that, you know what, Jake looks nice today, I can promise you has nothing to do with me. It's not. That is, that is what I call the glory of Kayla within me. All right, and so as, as I live with Kayla and I let her buy all of my clothes, I never buy clothes, and I let her make suggestions about what I should wear, I make sure not to leave the house, sometimes I do, uh, before she sees me, <laughs> But by doing so, uh, I now have some semblance of style. And an outsider looks at me and they say, he's a fashionista, you know. <laughs> Maybe not quite. But you get the point. Uh, any style or fashion that I now have is what I would consider the glory of Kayla within me. So now, now take your mind off of my wife. It's enough of that. And uh, put your attention on God. The glory of God. Now, that wasn't the, the full glory of Caleb. That was just a piece of it. What, what is the full glory of, of God? Everything that makes him glorious. What are those attributes? I'll give it a shot, just what comes to my mind. God is good. Not just good in the kind of moralistic way that we think of it, but literally down to the core of his being, there is not one trace of bad intent or evil thoughts that make their way into him. He is good. God is enormous. I think of the, the universe and the size and the depth and just the, I mean, it's mind-blowing to think about how far the stars go, <laughs> the solar systems and and. Uh, this universe is incredible, and God created that. He created that in an instant. This isn't just any God. God is uh, love. This God with all this power, all this knowledge, there's nothing he does not know, loves us endlessly, and he knows the number of hairs that are on your head. Think of someone in your life that uh, you love more than anyone else. <laughs> Who you know loves you more than anyone else. And their love is not even comparable to the love that God has for you. You as an individual, you and you only. In spite of all of your flaws. In spite of the fact that you've run from him 
He loves you and he pursues you and he's relentless. God is patient. Man, he's patient, isn't he? God is forgiving. And when I take a step into even what, what is just a, a semblance of his glorious presence, it's awe-inspiring, it's knee-bending, it's breathtaking, and it's life-changing. Now, that is the glory of God that we're talking about here. And what I want you to ask yourself is does the glory of God live within you to the full, to the max? Because it's supposed to. That's how God designed us. And I think that every single one of us in here today, if we're honest with ourselves, can say, no, that's not me. When others look at me, they don't see the glory of God shining through me. But that's what we were designed to do. I want to I move on to this story. So we, we had Exodus chapter 40 up there, and, and the temple or the tabernacle became complete. And rather than just look at that one text, I think it's important that we look at how that tabernacle came to be. And so the last 15 chapters in Exodus, believe it or not, uh, we're going to kind of summarize them today and, and take a step back and look at them because they give us a great story as to the Israelites' behavior towards God wanting to live with them. And we, uh, chapter 25, Moses is on the mountain with God, and uh, God says, Let them, let the people of Israel, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell with them. And in that time, the 40 days and 40 nights that Moses is on the mountain, God gives him, uh, he writes the Ten Commandments in the stone tablets, and God gives him the instructions to the sanctuary. <laughs> okay? And so he's receiving the instructions to the sanctuary, and as we talk about what the Israelites are doing in the meantime, um, we're going to throw up a slide, uh, building a sanctuary, okay? And we're going to think about ourselves as an inner sanctuary, what did the Israelites do? What do we have to do to create a space that is holy for God's full presence to dwell within? So Moses is on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. He receives the instructions for the sanctuary. And while that's going on, uh, you guys remember the story of the golden calf? Well, that's happening, all right? The Israelites, they're fashioning themselves uh, a new God. They said, I don't know what happened to Moses. I don't know what happened to Yahweh, our God. Uh, let's make ourselves a new God. And so the first one I want to throw up is patience. Patience. It's so typical, isn't it? I think of in my life when I start a new spiritual discipline or when I uh, try to reach out to a person to show them love, hoping that it will change our relationship or do something that honors God. And uh, I want immediate results. You know, we idol productivity and uh, we idolize productivity and immediate results in our culture. And... Uh, I don't get it in time and I just I change what I'm doing. That's what the Israelites are doing here. Uh, 40 days, that's it. I mean, they've, they've seen the 10 plagues within a year. They've seen the 10 plagues. Uh, Moses has talked to a burning bush. They've seen the Red Sea parted. Every single morning when they wake up, the bread from heaven is falling on the ground. This miraculous food that they're eating, right, from God. And 40 days, their leader is up on a mountain and they're just, I'm out. I don't know what happened to him. Talk about impatience. And so what I have to say to you today is if there's anything that you're doing in your life currently uh, 
that's honoring God, give it time. We've got to give it time for God to come down with the instructions to the sanctuary. Patience. Um, what happens here is that uh, God comes down, or Moses comes down from the mountain and breaks the stone tablets on the ground, uh, symbolizing that the covenant between God and his people are broken. The next thing we're going to throw up is something that I call tenacious priority keeping. All right? <laughs> Jeff Fugert would laugh at this one. We were trying to think of, of what to uh, call this. But this is interesting because God tells Moses uh, when this covenant is broken, when, when he sees that they're worshiping this golden calf that they created, God tells Moses, you know what? Go uh, to the land that I promised you. I'll send my angels before you. I'll clear it out. I'll give you what I promised you, all right? But I will not go with you. You can have what I told you that I'm going to give you, but I will not go with you. And to that, the nation of Israel mourned. What has happened to us? We've lost our God. And where the tenacious priority keeping comes in, the tenacity of Moses to say, no, no. The whole nation of Israel is mourning, and, and he's arguing with God, begging God, saying, No, do not send us up from here. Do not give us this land that you promised us if you will not go with us. My priority is that you are with us. And here's the text. Exodus 33, he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So that we are distinct. How will they know that you are our God? I can just imagine Moses thinking like, sure, we'll get to the promised land and you'll clear it out. But soon enough, people will ask like, who are we? Oh, we're the Israelites with the real God, the one true God, Yahweh. And he helped us do all these things. And they'll say, yeah, where is he? I don't see any evidence of him in your life. And that's not okay. I think so often in life, uh, Christians, people are so excited and so ready uh, to get a step ahead. That when some opportunity comes along to get ahead in life, we take it without any uh, real thought about whether or not God is coming with us. And what are our priorities? Maybe you just, maybe you want to have kids, man. Maybe I, all you've ever wanted is to have a girl, to have a boy, or have four kids, or whatever. Without even considering, do, do we have the money to do this? Is life going to accommodate us being able to take care of these children? And is God going to stamp his approval on this decision I'm about to make? There's a job that I really want in St. Louis in Denver, in L.A., in New York. And I got it. I can move there. Well, what about your community that you're being discipled in? What about the people here that need you and that you need as well? What about God's mission in Springfield that he's invited you to be a part of? I'm not saying that you can't make big life decisions and that things don't sometimes change uh, like that. But those types of decisions cannot be made before we consider whether or not God is coming with us. 
When I took this job here at Schweitzer, well, when it was offered to me, I prayed for three months and then went to a monastery for three days to get away before I finally made my decision. Guys, we have to make sure that, that God is with us. And if not, what it becomes is nominal Christianity. As Christianity, I call myself a Christian by name. But there is no evidence of God in my life. So, what's interesting here is that uh, Moses pleads with God. God actually renews his covenant. God gives in. He relents and says, okay, I will go with you. And we see an immediate shift in the attitude of the Israelites. Um, Moses goes up the mountain for another 40 days and 40 nights. And uh, this time they're patient. The covenant's renewed. He gets the instructions for the tabernacle again. He gets a new pair of stone tablets. And he comes down the mountain. And the people are waiting. Our next thing on the list here is willingness and eagerness. <clears throat> because in Exodus chapter 35, 29, it says the people of Israel... Every man and woman who was eager to help in the work the Lord had given them through Moses brought their gifts and gave them freely to the Lord. And then in Exodus uh, 36, 7, it says their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. Willingness and eagerness. The nation of Israel, uh, just the shift in their attitude when Moses came back down the mountain that second time, God, we want you to be with us. Here's everything that we have. The people putting it together had to say, stop. Tell them to stop bringing us stuff because we have more than enough. And I don't know about you, but uh, so often for me, I feel like um, what God wants me to do. I, okay, here's a good example. Uh, when I'm walking my dog, <laughs> our dog hates a leash. She hates the leash and she's this little tiny seven pound dog and she'll try to bite off the leash like it's not going to happen and you're just dragging her by her neck the whole time and uh, a lot of times I feel like that's what I'm doing like God's pulling me on a leash this way and I'm fighting against him and other times I feel like I feel like I'm just like laying dead on the ground and God's dragging me on the sidewalk like dead weight you know like I'm going yeah I'll go with you but you you, you got to drag me there <laughs> And that's me quite often. And so I got to pray, God, like, I need your help to change my heart to want what you want. I don't know what else to do with this other than to, other than to say, God, uh, change me. I, I'm trying, uh, but I really don't want to go that way. And I know you want me to. Next, we have um, obedience. Now, obedience is, is similar to willingness and, and eagerness. It falls in there. But something that strikes me about this whole story is that as the tabernacle is being, the pieces are being built and, and put together, um, 19 times in, in chapters 38, 39, and 40, 19 times we hear the phrase, just as the Lord had commanded, referring to what the Israelites did or what Moses did. Just as the Lord had commanded, exactly what he had commanded. Now, what are you hearing from God in your life right now? Um, <laughs> and what shortcuts are you taking? Exactly as the Lord had commanded. You see, if we don't do everything to, 
what God wants just to a T, then it's disobedience. And we're in the business here of building a sanctuary where the glorious God, creator of the universe, is living within us. There's no room for error. But lastly on this list, and most importantly, is Jesus. We're back to the first text that we went to in Exodus 40. It says that Moses finished the work. And then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses finished the work. Why is that significant? Because Jesus, if we know our, our, our Bible study, Jesus is the greater Moses in every story. Jesus is the greater Moses. You see, what happened is, is the people of Israel brought everything that they had that the Lord had asked for. And then there were people who were skilled that, that crafted the parts of the tabernacle. But at the end of chapter 39, they gave the pieces to Moses and Moses established it. He put it together. He stood it up. He finished the work. And Jesus is the only person who can finish the work of the Lord's sanctuary in your soul. Period. If you think that you can just be a good person, be moral, do good things, and have the glory of Lord of the Lord filled within you, it, it's not going to happen. If you think that you're saved by your works, it's not going to happen. Because everything that you do needs to be stamped with the approval of the Lord and finished by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Has to be. Every work, everything you do in life is incomplete if it is not done through the name of Jesus Christ. Period. You see, this body of ours, this flesh that we live in is unholy. And when Jesus hung on the cross and died for our sins and took our punishment, was resurrected, he gave us the ability through faith in him to receive his righteousness. Because he's the only righteous person that ever lived. And it's through his righteousness that we are made into a sanctuary for God. That goes for us as individuals, and that goes for us as a community. Has this work been finished in you? Today I want to give uh, you all an opportunity. Um, I know a lot, of, a lot of you have been baptized before. Some of you haven't been. Um, for me, I'll, I'll be honest, I was baptized when I was... Uh, an infant, six months old or something like that. And I've never been baptized since because uh, we don't believe that you need to be baptized more than once. But one thing we uh, do offer for, um, for people who have been baptized and um, who are really coming back to faith as an adult is, is something we call a reaffirmation of faith. Um, and I, I would let Jason or Bob kind of explain the differences there uh, theologically and doctrinally. But the point is... <laughs> I want to welcome any one of you today who hasn't yet accepted the complete 
finishing work of Jesus Christ in your life and in your heart to receive that. If you would throw my information up on the screen, um, phone number, my email, um, and I'm right here. I'll be sticking around for about 10 minutes after the service before I go next door. Um, Bob's here. Jason's here. Um, talk to one of us if you'd like to be baptized or if you'd like uh, to reaffirm your faith. And before Bob comes up, I want to read a quote. Um, this is in a, a book called The Interior Castle. If you like really like heady, kind of deep Christian literature, I would, uh, I would suggest you read The Interior Castle. And uh, something that Linda Harper sent me this last week is a conversation that a man had with the book that was written 500 years ago. And this man, Matthew C. Filer, wrote these words. I'm encouraged to begin with some thought about the state of my soul. Not just its ruined condition and need for renovation, but about its nature, what it's made for. I think it tends to lie unused and unattended to because I forget what it does provide a dwelling place for God. Just because of this, my soul must be a great place indeed, an inward place that surpasses the outward places I live in. Pondering such greatness within my life, which is given by God, can move me into prayer. I want to ponder the question, what do you think a room will be like, which is the delight of a king so mighty, so wise, so pure, and so full? of all that is good.